and amen. There we go. Hallelujah. I think it would be fitting for us today just to begin to lift our hands and to worship our God and to thank him for the great things that he's done for us and to begin to exalt his name because his name is glorious and wonderful. Glory to God. And while we're doing this, that we can sing a song of praise to him and sing hallelujah, hallelujah. That's right, all over the building, sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Begin to thank him for the great things that he's done. He's the creator of all. We sing hallelujah.
that's a good place to just continue to worship Him. Thank you, Jesus. And while you're worshiping Him, this is what I want you to do this morning. Open up your mouth and begin to say something in this atmosphere to our God. If it's no more that you're saying, God, I thank you for letting me wake up this morning to see a brand new day. Open up your mouth in this sanctuary and begin to tell him thank you and how much you love him, how much you appreciate him. Let your voice sound like water this morning. You're worthy. Glory to God. Let him hear it. Yes, God. We love your name. We love your name. We love you, Lord. You're extraordinary, great in our lives. Hallelujah. You've done remarkable things, God. Yes. And we can never repay you for it, God. We love your name, today. We love your name. We love your name. We honor your name. Yes, we do. We love you. Nobody like you, God. Yes. Yes, God. sisters. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, son of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The Gospel of the Lord. Father God, we put on the whole armor of God, the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. And having done so, Lord, we stand firm on the rock of salvation, that we may have Christ before us and Christ behind us, Christ to the left of us and Christ to the right of us, Christ above us and Christ below us, Christ within us and Christ to win us. To God be the glory. You are the healer, Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the great physician, Jesus. And you, Lord, are the lover of souls. Prepare our hearts for your words, for your love, for your peace. And Jesus, you came to set the captives free. Set us free from the generational things that plague and haunt in sickness and disease. Set us free today, Lord, and future generations. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning. I can't hear you. Good morning. Well done, because God is what? Brilliant. Well done, well done. You don't know this, but God is brilliant. Okay? It's an English, it's an English thing. <laughs> What beautiful music. Thank you very much indeed. Brilliant. Thank you. Man, I just felt overwhelming spirit coming over me. It's lovely. You know, when you tingle here and here and all everywhere, you know, the, the Holy Gospel tingling is brilliant, isn't it? Praise the Lord. So in 1998, I went to Jerusalem and I went with an intention. I wanted to see Jesus. So I spent four hours at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre waiting on the Lord. People came, people left. There was noise, there was silence. Where are you, Jesus? I've come to Jerusalem to see you. No Jesus. The following Wednesday, I went to the garden tomb run by the British. And I was spent the day there praying. Where are you, Jesus? I want to see Jesus. Where are you? No Jesus. I ministered to a, an American teenager who was having a meltdown. It was 104, so I'm not surprised she was having a meltdown. But I prayed for her right in the garden tomb. At, promptly at 4 o'clock, this British chap, because the garden tomb is run by the Brits, this British chap walks by me and I say, good afternoon, in my best British accent. And he said, good afternoon to me. 
And he approached the tomb, he took out his keys, he shut the door and locked it. And there on the door it says, He is not here, he is risen. Duh! I tell you what, I felt so stupid. And I cracked up laughing. And then this British, very British cap said, Are you all right, sir? I said, Oh, yes, I'm brilliant. Because I've had this great revelation. And I thought, Well, if he's not here, where is he? And here's the thing he is in everybody we meet. Everybody we meet. The checkout clerk, clerk at, the, at, the, at the supermarket. He is in everybody we meet. And we need to be reminded of his love in everybody we meet and talk to. Whatever their condition, whatever their concern, whatever their trauma, whatever their background, whatever they need to be healed of. And it was a great revelation. He is not here. He is risen. Where is he? He's in you and he's in everybody you meet. And that changed my life, people. That made me realize that duh moment stupid as it was, made me realize that we need to really love each other. I need to tell you the importance of what we're going to do today. We're coming with an intention. We're coming to the rail. We're coming to receive with intention. We're going to bring our genograms up and we're going to have time to fill them out in a moment. But we're going to let go of the past generational hurts. And here's probably the most important thing. We're preventing any further generational parts to go down the generations. Okay, so this is a, an amazing time in your life. I remember when I first did this 24 years ago and felt so free from the sins of the fathers, the sins of the mothers and all those issues that, that we talked about yesterday. So it's very important. I would put it to you that you're going to get a family radical reset. Can you say that with me? A family radical reset. Control, alt, delete. Yeah, I believe the Lord is going to do that today. And guess what? He's going to reboot you. We're going to get rebooted. Yeah. To be set free. The key to the kingdom. Where is the key to the kingdom? It's within us. Jesus is the key. He's within us. Therefore, the key to the kingdom is within us. And we're going to break soul ties in the act of communion. We're breaking soul ties. Any unhealthy connection that you've had will be broken in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's here to set you free, to set you free. Isn't that, that's the good news, isn't it? That's the good news. I'm uh, drawing on Reverend Marsh Hudson Knapp and Dr. Kenneth McCall from their wisdom. The beautiful thing about being a Christian is we don't need to re- reinvent the wheel, do we? We don't need to, re- thank you. Feel free to throw in our men's and stuff. I like, we Episcopals, we need to learn how to do that, you know? Because, because the, thank you, go for it, yeah. I love it that you guys do that. It's great, thank you, bring it on, bring it on, you know. Um, so one of the greatest joys of communion is the opportunity to bring people into Jesus' presence for healing and blessing. We regularly mention friends and family in prayer, and sometimes we imagine bringing them to Jesus. Using our prayer imagination is a powerful way to focus the power of prayer. We may envision Jesus laying hands or or touching our friend and we may sense his love and light pouring through them. Sometimes at communion we ask Jesus to heal our relationships with people. Envisaging Jesus bringing us together with people and helping us to talk out our hurts. Sometimes we need to confess and ask forgiveness, which we will do, obviously, during the communion. Sometimes we need to offer forgiveness. 
going through this in prayer before we do it in flesh and blood can help to prepare our inner self to truly embrace the other. So we're coming in community, we're coming in communion, we're coming with our past hurts, our present hurts and the hurts that will come. Some hurts in our lives go back generations like the Hatfields and the McCoys. I love that, it really is. It's, it's brilliant, isn't it? Oh, hey, laddie, you know. There have been jealousies and resentments and mutual anger or hatred that has taken a life of his own. In communion, we have the opportunity to go with Jesus in prayer to these people and claim Jesus' power to forgive, to love, and to embrace. Can I hear? hear thank you. I was just going to say, can I hear an amen? You beat me to it. Brilliant. <laughs> it's his power to forgive. Bringing your family's enemies or alienated friends, both those in the present and those through past generations and those in the future, with the presence of Christ to set us free. The very souls of those who've gone before us set free. The healing of your generation. One thing I've often done in, in marriage preparation is ask the couple whether they'd be willing during the wedding ceremony when they're kneeling down, getting the prayers of the people, receiving the prayers, when we wrap our stole around their hands, which is a beautiful moment in prayer. I often ask the couple before the, the service if they would like their parents, their siblings, their grandparents and other relatives and cousins to come forward and pray over them that here are two families joining and each family has their stuff that they're carrying down and in that moment the Lord heals those past generations in weddings. I wish that was in the prayer book. I pray it will be in the new prayer book. I just plant that seed, Sarah, because uh, it's a wonderful moment. Some people don't want anything to do with it. But I tell you what, it gives the grandparents something to do during the service. They beam. They love that. Yes, I get to play. You know, But it's not playing at all. It's very serious because we have that stuff that is handed down during the generations. And through the Eucharist, there is great power in the blood of Jesus great power. We are suboriums. We're carrying that within us. And when we come with intention, here's the key. As Episcopalians and Anglicans, we forget. I think the Catholics do this right. They come with an intention. Come with an intention today that you will be set free from the sins of the fathers and the mothers. It doesn't say that in the Bible. I think the women get, get, get let off on that one. You know, seems to be just the sins of the fathers, but we know it's both. So come to the, the rail with intention, setting the captives free. Unresolved family situations often leave a scar in your family life or in your heart. If someone dies in an upsetting circumstance, at communion we can bring them to Jesus' presence to make things better. You see, Jesus can reach across time and space. He's not stuck in one, present, one place or in one time like we are. He can go back and heal that because of his omnipresence. He heals up the family tree. How wonderful is that? Many times families are so upset at stillbirth, miscarriage or abortion that they fail to care for the child who has died. This often leaves the family with a deep wound at communion where Jesus' bond bonds with us and with the saints. We can commit the little one to Jesus. We picture them with the Lord and we ask Jesus if he will allow us to see our loved one. Sometimes a name will be given if the child was never named. I've done that many times where we have buried an object in place of the child who was aborted, who died. It's beautiful to name that child that you are set free, that you're not carrying any guilt 
or remorse or resentment. As we think of the greatest commandment of God, love God, love your neighbour as yourself. Think about that. How many of you love God? Yes, well done. How many, looking outside your front door, okay, imagine you're standing at your front door, look to your left. How many love your neighbour on the left-hand side of your house? Yeah, most of you, well done. Some didn't put up their hands. We'll... (laughs) Sarah's office after the service, okay. (laughs) Looking out your front door, looking to your right. How many love your neighbour to the right? I want to see most hands. Anybody not got a hand up? Well done. Now, here's the kicker. How many of you love yourself? Oops. Yes, we need to love ourselves. Because that's the command. I'm not talking about love in a narcissistic way, but the love of Jesus Christ. And I hate it when my notes get flying like that. The last time that happened, I was about to speak at St. Paul's Derrian. I was so excited that I'd been asked to speak at Paul's Derrian. I got up and I dropped everything and they weren't numbered. And they all like this. I was so humiliated, I tell you what. Because I was ready to go. I was like a horse at the starting gate, ready to go. And there were my notes, just like this. I need healing right now. Mother, would you pray for me, please? (laughs) I'm having a flashback, you know. (laughs) That's all my notes, by the way. So I do have to get down there, excuse me. Do the handshake. Teach. Go over there and teach this lovely group the handshake. Teach them the handshake. (laughs) Oh, Lord, forgive my sins. (laughs) At least they're numbered. Yeah, thank you very much. We've got to put them back in, in the right number here. Two, three, four. What's that one? Nine. Seven. Seven. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yep, thank you. Okay. Hold on. Do you like that handshake? It's fun, isn't it? Yes. Use that. Kids love it, by the way. Kids love it. Is it hot in here or is it me? <laughs> Can't believe I did that. They teach you thus in, in seminary, you know, what to do when you drop your. Th- but one forgets. So. so, listen, in similar ways, people who have undergone abortions have often been told it's nothing. And years later, the post-trauma stress brings back the painful reality of the loss, the guilt, the hurt. In communion with Jesus, he gives us the opportunity to find healing with those who have gone before us, to send them our love and to receive back theirs. We are enabling the release of the loved one and healing on earth, and I believe in heaven. This is the beauty of this. We're not communing with the dead, but we are in communion with our family tree, to be set free from our heritages that isn't good. Dr. Kenneth McCall of England has written many medical cases where people have suffered from incurable physical and psychiatric illness. McCall and his family members have celebrated communion, bringing to Jesus people in the family's past, folks who have suffered a violent death, abortions or conflicts within or between families, As these family relationships are healed, sometimes the sick person will undergo a dramatic healing themselves, even if they are unaware of the communion of of the prayers. That I find extraordinary, even if they're unaware. Quick story, I prayed for a woman in Connecticut years ago at two o'clock in the afternoon. 
Her brother was in London and across the street. When you go to England, you look the opposite way than you do in this country because cars are on the other side. In this country, you look to the left first, right? Americans go to England, they look this way, and there's a car coming this way, splat. It happens to a lot of Americans, okay? Um, and her brother had been hit by a car. He did it exactly that. He looked to the left bank, and he was in hospital, and he was in a lot of pain. We prayed at 2 o'clock. There's a five-hour time difference. It was 7 o'clock at night. It was too late for her, her to call her brother to see how he was doing. The next day, this is a beautiful story, the very next day she called him up, and he said, it was amazing last night. At 7 o'clock, all the pain went. Is that lovely? So there's a brother-sister relationship where we were praying. At that very hour, her brother was healed. We've heard that in the Bible. At the very hour, his servant was healed. So we look at those generational issues, those siblings who know how to push our buttons. Remember yesterday, I said, of course, your family knows how to push your buttons. They installed them. You know? <laughs> so Christ came to set us free from all that stuff that we carry. I always had to sit in the middle of the back seat and my two sisters, who were most irritating, <laughs> one of them still can be, um, I would sit in the middle and my two sisters would sit here and one sister would do this and the other sister would do this and it was so annoying, you know. And, and at one point, after, you know, five minutes, I'd just snap, stop it, you know. And then my dad would slam on the brakes, you know, pull off and he, his hand because he's sitting on this side, you know, his hand would do this, you know, in anger, you know, and he, he'd try and hit us, or hit me, because, you know, of course it was my fault. It was always my fault, because I was the oldest and I should know better. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. <laughs> so we can celebrate a communion to intentionally bring troubled family members to Jesus, with intention. The call suggests somewhat different prayers for parts of communion. For example, the confession brings our sins and those of our family members to, to light. If we know their sins, we can confess them and, and for them. And sins known and unknown. We don't need to know the full history. If When you fill out your genogram and you can't remember the name, that's fine. Just put a smiley face or a sad face maybe, depending on your relationship with them. We also, forgive, we also give forgiveness to our family members and ask it from, from them. And as, as intercession time, we take substantial time of silence to allow each person to pray, asking Jesus, who in their family may need healing from the past and in the present. Sometimes the Lord will bring somebody to mind. As I was praying for you this morning, I love the way the Lord gives me images. And the only image he gave me this morning was a white picket fence that somebody was closing. I'm not sure if you're going into the picket fence or coming out of the picket fence, but you're having trouble closing the fence. I have no idea that what that means. If that person would like to share with me afterwards, or if, if that makes sense to you, has anybody been struggling with a white picket fence? Okay, no idea what it means. We'll give that one to God. Perhaps it's not literal. Perhaps you've been struggling with closing the gate or even opening the gate. Remember, oh, I've just thought, remember what the Bible says, enter through the narrow gate. There we go, there it is, I've just got, thank you Jesus. He just downloaded something on me. In ministry I've discovered there's, uh, in any relationship, husband, wife, therapist, patient, doctor, patient, there's a certain point you can talk about things. There's a certain false 
glass ceiling. There's certain things you can talk about and then beyond that, there's things you really don't want to touch. Yeah? Because you know what's going to happen. Whoa. Boom. You know? And there's certain points. But in any relationship, when the honeymoon is over, there comes a point when you need to go through the narrow gate. Sometimes one person will go through the gate and the other person won't. But if you can agree to disagree, to go through that narrow gate, you come out and you can talk about anything. So it is in relationships. If you are living within that igloo of unforgiveness, of restriction, I pray that you would make a decision with whatever relationship we're talking about to walk through, three of you walk through, you, your spouse or the person you're having issues with, and of course the third person is Jesus. Amen. Enter through the narrow gate. How wonderful is that? So when it comes to the body of Christ, we invite each person to come up to Christ's table and spend as long as they need bringing their family to Jesus, inviting them to heal. Just bring these people and stories to light starts healing in families. The secrets start to dissipate along with their power. You see, when you bring... Think about a a, a basement. I know we don't have basements down here, but think about a basement. When you go down the basement and you turn on the light, what happens to the critters? They run away, exactly. So what you're doing is bringing light into your family, into your family tree, into your heritage, whatever that might be, where people have dominated you or your family, where you've been enslaved, where you've been hurt. Whatever those issues are, through Holy Communion, you can be set free today. I think that's brilliant, don't you? Yeah, I really do. Isn't that, I mean, I'm excited for you. You know, I've done this, you know, hundreds of times. But it's beautiful to see what happens when we suddenly realize that Christ came to set us free. And all that baggage, the backpacks of life, the, the 18-wheeler that we're pulling, the, 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 the train of, of, you know, 21 carriages full of stuff, that we can just take that off. The burden is heavy, but the yoke is light in Jesus. Amen? Yeah, thank you. There's some applause even. All right, I'm getting pumped up now. Can I go for another hour? This is fun. So, So we're taking that burden off. Listen, think about the burdens on your shoulders. What are you carrying that God doesn't want you to carry? Think about that for a moment. What stuff are you carrying that you're sick of it? You're sick and tired of it? Put your hands like this. Okay, go ahead. And push it up. I want to always get out of the way of this because... I don't want to get slimed. I'm going to stand over here, all right? And lift that up, all right? Lift it right up. Christ is either side of you, lifting that yoke, and then leave it at the foot of the cross. Boom. Let it go. The only person I want to have power over me is Jesus. No perpetrator. Thank you. Bring it on. Bring it on. I just want Jesus. I don't want any perpetrator to control my life. I don't want to have that mindset that somebody's bothering me. There's something niggling. I hate that word because my name's Nigel, but you know what I mean. Something's there that's just an irritant. It's like having poison ivy of the brain. You know what I mean? It's like allowing poison ivy to get into your skull. You want to scratch it and you can't. Because you can't, well, you could stick your finger in your ear and try, but it doesn't work, you know. So Jesus came to set the captives free. And that's what this is. Come with intention. And here's the good news. We don't need to wait for special generational communion service. However, every time you celebrate communion, every time you come to church, every time you come to communion, invite the Holy Spirit in and come with intention for whatever that intention is. Isn't that beautiful? What a great 
great gift God has given us in his son. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we do it in remembrance of him, all our remembrance gets cleansed. Beautiful. I don't have many generational healing stories because it's so personal and it's very difficult to account for because it's so internal, it's so private. You remember yesterday I spoke about that skeleton being set free, the skeletons in the closet. I don't hear about it because we don't want to talk about the skeleton. But anyway, that skeleton is being set free today. If you have something in your closet that you want to get rid of today, this is holy housekeeping. Yes? Your house is going to be cleansed because that, whatever is in that closet has no power over you. He's letting you go. The only generational sort of healing I can relate to was a horse. Sounds a bit weird. I went to a farm years ago where the farm had had some serious issues. I prayed with a grandmother who was ready to die. Wonderful woman. She was French and was involved in the French resistance. She was one tough cookie. She was, I'm ready to die, but her daughter didn't want her to die. So it was very difficult. I couldn't get the daughter out of the room. So it was a very difficult moment, you know. I prayed with a goat that needed healing, that was healed. I prayed for the, for the crops that were failing, the financial issues. And then she invited me to go down this path uh, where she said, we have a 27-year-old horse who has very bad arthritis. Would you come and pray for the horse? So I approached the paddock, and this horse was mad, was angry, excuse me. And it was semi-circling like this, kicking up dust, and you could see it had arthritis. So I approached the paddock with my hands in my pockets, and I looked down. I didn't touch the fence, and I looked down. I purposely didn't look at the horse. And for quite a while, it semi-circled, kicking up dust. It didn't like me. It was angry. And then suddenly it went round to my left and then came and I'm looking down and it stopped, turned and came right at me. There was a big nose up here, horse's nose and teeth. I remember it coming right at me. I thought, I'm going to get punched on the nose by a horse. And here's the beauty of this. At the last moment, this horse moved its head like this and plonked it on my shoulder and nuzzled me. It nuzzled me like this, just gave me a little nuzzle sideways. Having thought that I was going to get punched on the nose. I used to box, not very well in the Marines. I did knock one person out, but then I got knocked out, and that was by the end of my career as a boxer. <laughs> That's not, this is a stupid sport. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> but I was so pleased with myself. Man, I knocked someone out, yeah, nine, ten, brilliant. And then boom, it was my turn, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, you know, I thought this horse was going to knock me out, but it loved me. And I loved it, and I put my hands around it, and the peace of God just came upon us. The horse quietly went away and started eating grass, and I went up to the farmer's wife, and she was crying. I said, are you okay? She said, no. She said, I'm sorry, please forgive me. What do you mean? She said, well, that horse hates men. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> now you tell me, I nearly got knocked out. She said, I'm, I'm amazed at what happened. Something supernatural happened with that horse. I know that horse is going to hit you. I knew that. But at the last minute, the Lord intervened. She told me the story, very sad story, talking of generational healing. This horse as a foal had been bought by a very, very angry man who took his anger out on the horse. He punched the horse. He kicked the horse. He abused that foal. Ergo, therefore, that horse didn't like men. Didn't like me. I didn't know the story, thank God. Because I don't think I would have gone through that. 
like I did in the boxing ring, willingly. Stupid really, isn't it? But that horse was healed. And after that moment, it allowed the husband, the farmer, to ride the horse. And he wouldn't even touch it. He fed it every day for years. And the horse wouldn't let him touch it. It hated men. That's healing. And I tell you, if that happens in an animal, where does that put us? You know, that hatred, that bitterness, that anger, that resentment. That horse was healed. Again, it's rather difficult to quantify in human beings, but when we look at that healing story, how beautiful is that? A couple of Bible verses. It'll take about an hour and a half, and then I'll finish. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Exodus 20. It's amazing how much there is in the Bible about generational stuff. When When we look at the begats, you know, What's this all about? But that's healing, the generations, finding out where Jesus came from. You know. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. That's in your face, isn't it? The gospel today was in your face. I'm not a fire and brimstone chap. I'm not really into fire and brimstone. I'm into the love of Jesus Christ. I'm into his love. Exodus 34.7 Keeping steadfast love for the thousand genera- thousandth generation forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin yet by no means clearing the guilty but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. So that verse talks about thousand generations but currently we're even looking at the third and fourth as you look at your genogram and write down what needs to be healed in your family. It can skip a generation. Genesis 31:19. As Jacob prepared to leave his uncle Laban and return home, Jacob's wife feared losing their inherited riches. Fascinating, isn't it? Inheritance. You know, when somebody dies, we fight over the inheritance. We contest the inheritance, all that stuff. This is all family stuff. This is all nothing new. It's been going on for generations. Now, Laban had gone to share his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Now Rachel had taken the household gods with a low, with a small g and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban felt all about the tent, did not find them. So Jacob said to the household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourself and change your clothes. The next generation, listen to this, the next generation was free from worshipping false gods. The sin skipped Joseph's generation, but returned with his son Ephraim, as we hear from the prophet Hosea. Amazing, isn't it? This is nothing new. We think this is all new stuff. It isn't. It's all in our generation. Excuse me, in our generations, and goes back. We know that sin can travel through, and we take on, as I said yesterday in the teachings, we take on the idiosyncrasies of our parents. If there's anything negative in you, bring that today to the Lord. And I. One other verse, Psalm 103, verse 17 and 18. But the steadfast love of God is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And as I said, loving yourself is not a narcissistic command. Narcissism is a not a very nice disease. I meet quite a lot of people who are narcissistic. 
sad. We must love God. The narcissism isn't one of narcissistic love. It's understanding the love of God that he has for you. That you are loved. So many people say, I'm not worthy. But you are worthy because of the death of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. have um, one or two testimonies. Uh, Jan Marie, I think, we're going to give a testimony. Where are you? Yes, there you are. Thank you. Do we have a mic? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Sure. Going up there. Thank you. This is my story of generational healing. And some of you already know about my family's reconciliation one with another by the grace of God. Like many families today, we were uh, facing the challenges of a blended family. And uh, one of our greatest struggles was with our oldest son. As a young teenager, he was destructive, resentful, and rebellious. The pattern continued into his adulthood with long silences in between accusations and recriminations on his part. My husband and I spent many tearful nights in prayer with little apparent result. Nonetheless, I prayed a mother's prayer for my son and our relationship with him for many years. One night I prayed for my son as if he had died. Indeed, he was as lost to us as if he had died. I asked Jesus to take my child to himself and to love and protect him as we had somehow failed to do. I prayed the Lord's forgiveness for my shortcomings as a parent and for my part in the unhappiness that had plagued our home. I prayed to the Holy Spirit to let my child, wherever he was, feel my love for him in his heart, even though I truly believed that I would never see or hear from him again. And a few years ago, those prayers were answered in a most wonderful and unexpected way, and we were resurrected as a family. Today, we enjoy a congenial, affectionate, and connected relationship with our children, their partners, and our grandchildren, and life has been good. But as my walk with the Lord progressed, I realized that it was not enough to pray for my children to be reconciled to my husband and me, their parents, but that they also be reconciled to their heavenly family as well. And this has been my prayer since that time. Uh, About a year and a half ago, the phone rings. It's Saturday morning early, and I note that it's our son in California calling. It's really early for him out there, and that's never a good thing. And I say, hi, son, what's up? He says, Mom, I'm in the hospital. It's pancreatitis, and they're running some tests. I'm being admitted now. I'm uneasy. He's been complaining of abdominal pain for a few weeks now, but I thought he'd told me that it was a bleeding ulcer and that he'd seen a doctor. Well, what do I know? I won't uh, bother him with lots of questions right now. And I say a prayer. I call my son that evening, and I'm told that he needs to make some lifestyle changes 
and he'll be okay. I still have that nagging, worrying thing in the back of my mind, but I'm sure he knows best. I won't crowd him because he hates that. I say a prayer. The next several days consist of me texting or calling my son's number and his fiance letting me know that he's sleeping and he'll get back in touch with me soon. My heart knows there's something very wrong, and I pray. About a week goes by, and I receive a call from Justin's fiance on a Wednesday night, and she says, Mom, Justin's still really sick. His doctor says his buddy's just not taking over the healing process, and it should be by now. They're going to take him to surgery tomorrow, but I'm sure it'll be okay. Do I need to come, I ask. She said, No, Mom, I'm sure everything will be fine. I pray. I pray. Later, I receive a text from Maria. He made it through the surgery. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thursday evening after our healing service, I receive another call from Maria. Mom, Justin has a blood clot in his lung. He's receiving medication to dissolve the clot. But if it doesn't work, he'll need more surgery. Mommy might not make it. I'm afraid. I can't make decisions for him because we're not married. Can you come? My heart seizes. Of course, I'm on my way. I'm packing and praying and praying and packing, trying to be organized. Out of nowhere, a scream bursts from me, and I fall to my knees. I scream. I can't form words, but my very soul is crying out to my Lord. Save him, Lord. Mercy, Lord. I don't know how long I stayed on that floor, utterly bereft, and my heart doing the only thing it knows how to do. Save him, Lord. Mercy, Lord. Abba, Father. All the way to California, I planned my son's funeral. Would he want to be with his grandparents in our hometown, or would he want to be in California where he's lived since he got out of school? Who to call first? I know I'll call a priest as soon as I get to California for last rites if necessary. And I pray. All the way, I pray. When I arrive at the hospital and see my son, I almost collapse. My strength fails me. He's so bloated I wouldn't know my own child without his profile. There's blood on the floor from where his IVs have failed and they placed a pick line. He's a fluorescent yellow and he's on oxygen. He's in kidney failure. He's septic. He's very restless and pulls away his oxygen every few minutes. He's hallucinating, and I understand now that my child is in withdrawal. I understand everything now. I can't think. I want to say something to let my child know that I'm here, that he's not alone. But I open my mouth and I say, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed. When I get to the end, I start over. For hours, I confess to the Lord for my son and for me. I stay by his bedside in case he can hear me, and I can hear him if he calls. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed. My son survived that night, and the next day his body took up the challenge to heal. His heart took up the challenge to try again. I share this to tell you that when we are without strength, without even the words to pray, he hears us. Almighty God stretched out his hand and answered my prayers for my child again. Save him, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Today my son is completely healthy. He did not need the other second surgery. 
He's still walking his path in the Lord's own time. My prodigal son is returned. And I pray, thanks be to God. Amen. going to be um, saying together the prayer on page one uh, where it says uh, priest and people. We're going to be saying that together. Let me just give you an indication of the flow of the service. After that prayer, we're going to have some uh, music while those who have not yet had a chance to fill out their genograms uh, can do so. Uh, Just a prayerful time. Uh, Thinking about those things, as Nigel said yesterday, start at the bottom. Start with the children and then work back upwards from there. And um, even if you've done this before, it might be that the Lord has even revealed some other things to you this time around. So I'd pray over those genograms and see where the Lord leads in that. Um, Then we're going to enter into this uh, responsive prayer um, over really confession of all of those things, asking the Lord's healing on all of those things, a time of silence to bring to the Lord those people who are on our hearts, have been brought into our minds. Um, And then afterwards, we are going to uh, offer up our family trees. That's at the offertory. We're going to uh, come forward and um, use the shredder right here, Hopefully it is working. We didn't check that one, but um, um, praise God that uh, Terry knows how to get it started. So, um, And then we'll go into the uh, peace. We'll pass the peace with each other. Uh, Deacon Dick will then set the altar, and uh, we will uh, have the great thanksgiving over the elements and um Then as you come up, we will distribute the uh, body and blood of Christ and you are to remain at the altar rail at that point in time. Um, So it's going to take a little bit longer. Uh, We'll have the music, praise music, Thanksgiving music going because Father Nigel will then come along and anoint um, each person and lay hands on them. Um, if there are needs for more verbalized prayer, if you, uh, because he won't be asking you for what he needs to pray, he'll just be coming along, anointing you, praying over you as the Lord leads him. Um, if you have some prayer requests that need to be verbalized, we will have uh, prayer ministry teams um, in the church over there at the corners um, of the church to when you leave the altar rail after being prayed over by uh, Father Nigel, you can go to one of those teams who will likewise uh, pray over you. And then we will um, gather back together for the post-communion prayer uh, blessing and closing songs of praise. So it's a little bit of a different flow to our normal Eucharistic liturgy, but I just wanted to let you know That's what we're going uh, to be doing. Now, if you would all please stand. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of his cross and blood, we bind up the power of all evil spirits. We command them not to block our prayers. We break all curses, hexes, or spells sent against us and declare them null and void. We break all assignments of evil spirits sent against us, 
and send those spirits to Jesus. We bind up all interaction in the world of evil spirits as it affects us and our prayers. We ask for the protection of the shed blood of Jesus Christ over us, our families, and all that we hold dear. Lord, bless our enemies by sending your Holy Spirit to lead them to repentance and conversion. We ask you to send your holy angels to help us in this battle. Guide us in our prayers and share with us your Spirit's power and compassion. Amen. Now I invite you to sit and complete the genograms if you haven't done so. If you have already, just enter into a time of prayer. <laughs> 